According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me, if you would, once again in Proverbs chapter 16. We are at the end of the chapter, so we're going to be looking at verses 31, 32, and 33. Proverbs 16, 31, 32, and 33. Before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask our Father for His faithfulness to bless our time of study. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before You once again thankful for Your grace and truth and the privilege that we have to come together. We thank You for this time of study and for the blessings that we have in the middle of the week to take a break and come here to receive instruction. Father, I thank you for the book of Proverbs, for how practical it is in daily life. Just give you the praise and the glory, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we've had nine points of study, and point ten is is our final one. There's a lot here in this chapter, and I was going to go back and look at the website and find out how many months or years we've been in, in chapter 16. It seems like it's been a while. Um, but having gone through the villains that we looked at, four villains that are portrayed and exposed here in verses 27 through 30, we had the worthless man, the perverse man, the man of violence, and the winker, the wicked winker in verse 30, uh, dealt with him last week. And so now we're ready to move on to verses 31 and following, which is point 10 in the outline. Proverbs 16 closes with three timeless truths. Proverbs 16 closes with three timeless truths, centering on old age in verse 31, centering on uh, patience in our self-control in verse 32, and then uh, luck in verse 33, as luck would have it. And so this is what we'll deal with here today. And we'll see if we get through it all today. And uh, if we have to, uh, we'll be here probably 12 weeks from now. We'll see, uh, you'll be laughing at me thinking that we could do this all in one day. But 31, 32, and 33. So let's start with verse 31. A gray head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. And so uh, here is the verse that everyone enjoys when they reach a certain age, when they uh, start to observe that uh, the hair is not the color it used to be in, uh, in younger years. And uh, when you're feeling a little bit gloomy about that, this uh, this is designed to make you feel better, that uh, it's not so bad, that uh, God designed it this way, and it is actually a glory if, in fact, you have spent those years getting there in the Word of God, all right? If, in fact, you can look back behind you and be praising God for His grace that brought you here, and for the Word of God that you've learned in the meantime. And so old age is a glory after a lifetime of walking with the Lord. And this is, uh, this is the point that's being made. We've got some other Proverbs to look at and other Old Testament passages as well. That's a huge if, I've got to tell you. Old age is a glory after a lifetime of walking with the Lord. Because if this is not the case, if, if a person has not spent their life in the Word of God, then it's not a crown. Gray hair is just a, a marker of how close they are to, to hell, how close they are to eternity of darkness. Uh, 
see. And uh, if you're spending some time in a nursing home, and and uh, you'll notice it's it's like night and day. It's uh, it's it's pretty stark and it's pretty clear. The uh, the residents of that home that uh, that love the Lord and are, are ready to be with Him, that uh, that have hope of eternal life, that have the joy of, of Scripture, versus uh, the lost, the absolute lost, that have uh, yeah they got a lot of mileage behind them, but a lot of regrets, a lot of uh, disappointments. It's uh, it's something else. So we do have it here. It is described in this way, and uh, it is found in the way of righteousness. So uh, if, if you're not in the way of righteousness, if that's not been your path, then the gray head is not a crown of glory. The gray head is just a gray head. It's just, uh, it's just okay, you got old, and that's what happens. Uh, but no, if you have the Word of God, then besides getting old, you have the crown of glory. Uh, I think we've had previous, uh, a previous statement in chapter 10 we can look back at. Proverbs 10, 27. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And uh, you recall uh, with uh, honoring your father and mother, the first commandment with a promise, we discussed the nature of physical life, the nature of adding years, adding days, not only in length but also in quality, the, the blessings of God to make those extra uh, days be a blessing because you're redeeming them for the glory of Jesus Christ, that you are... Um, meditating upon the Word of God and you're, you're pleasing in the sight of God. And so in that case, adding extensions is a good thing. It is a blessing. Uh, whereas, of course, if you're pursuing the Ecclesiastes lifestyle, uh, then why do you want more of that? <laughs> if, uh, if, if the end is just the same for everybody and it's, it's the disgusting description of death that you find in Ecclesiastes, well then let's just go ahead and end it now. Why, why, why stretch it out? Why make it more miserable? In, uh, in that horrible view of, of human viewpoint. So uh, many of these are issues we've seen already. Uh, prolonging life in the sense, not in thwarting the will of God, but in recognizing that the plan of God is uh, contingent. The plan of God has built-in contingency factors. That's part of His wisdom too. That if, if, if the only thing you think about is your X number of days, it's not a bad thing to consider, but it's, it's bigger than that, Right? And so God in His plan has sovereignly determined your X number of days, but He's also determined your Y number of days and your Z number of days, that He's got built into His plan more than one outcome to the end of your life. And because uh, He's got extensions uh, as, as rewards, as blessings, when you honor your father and mother, when you live in the Word of God, as it says here, when you fear the Lord, the prolonging of life there, uh, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. And that's the other end of the spectrum. The fact that you can die the sin and the death. The fact that you can bring about divine judgment that shortens your life. That consequences for your sin can include uh, disease, can include other sickness, can include, uh, you know, uh, sinners tend to make other sinners quite angry. And there's violence that comes with that. There are certain lifestyles that promote domestic violence more than other lifestyles. I call them death styles. And they're very violent and brutal uh, existences as far as that goes. And so if we think of the X number of days kind of as the baseline and then Y becomes an extension beyond that or Z kind of becomes the shortening earlier than that, then uh, I think we've got a good model there to, uh, to recognize those things.
How about Proverbs 20 and verse 29? Proverbs 20 and verse 29. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray hair. All right, and so there you have it. And, uh, you know, if you uh, don't boast in the one because you're going to be in the other one before you know it. You know, it just goes from, from one to the other faster than you, can, than you can pay attention to. But I think it is useful, you know. You, you do recognize where, where you fit into the scheme of things. And, um, you know, it just, you know, years ago, and I never forget when Hugh Hatley was 70-something years old and climbing up a ladder to fix something on the in the uh, in the eaves, or to get brush debris off the roof, or something, and he's seventy plus years old climbing this ladder. And I'm like, Hugh, get down from there. Let's let, we got younger deacons. Let's get younger deacons up there, or somebody. Uh, you don't need to be up there doing that. You know, there's uh, there's a point uh, beyond which uh, you should cross from twenty nine A to twenty nine B in your thinking here. Proverbs twenty twenty nine. And, uh, and, and, and glory in that, because it is a glory and it is an honor, and, uh, and we can appreciate that. The thing I love about having a, a small flock like this is the fact that unlike the monstrosities in town where they take you and they compartmentalize you and they put you in different groups, they, you know, we're all one flock together, and I love that. I love the fact that we got our children in the same room as our older folks, and, and it, we're all worshiping together, and we're, we're singing together, we're praying together, we're taking communion together. And, uh, and our younger folks need to see that, and our older folks need to see that. That's, uh, that's a blessing too. All right, so there's the honor there. How about Leviticus? Leviticus 19.32. You can take a picture of this slide and then uh, this will be your... Uh, Dedication to old people slide for years to come. All right, Leviticus 19.32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. Okay, this is, this is far deeper than just simply a, uh, a cultural aspect. This is far deeper than just a, a helpful hint or something nice. All right, and uh, if, if you just want to approach things with human viewpoint, then you can kind of you know look around the world. And you can observe that uh, you know maybe there are cultures that uh, that uh, that are uh, have a reputation for honoring the elderly, and then there's other cultures that have a reputation for not for being more disrespectful and kind of uh, uh, ugly towards the elderly. And that's all just in human terms. That's all just with, uh, with human viewpoint, looking around and thinking, okay, well, you know, uh, the Japanese, for example, are, are legendary for how they revere their elders. And, uh, and, and okay, I'll, I'll go with that, sure. But, you know, beyond the, the, just the cultural, secular aspect of that, how much of that is actually motivated by satanic religion? Whereby, in fact, they have to pray to their ancestors. Whereby they are honoring the elderly because they're they're terrified that the elderly are going to cross into the next world and come back and, and haunt them, right? And they have they've got these demonic fears about about the departed ancestors, and so much of their their family is caught up in the honor of their of their clan and the honor of their extended family. 
And so when, when you bring that into the conversation, we've got to stop and say, now wait a minute, you know, you were telling me that you, uh, that you respect the fact that they have a, an honor for their elderly. And, well, as far as it goes, okay, but, but why? What's the basis for that? What's that grounded in? See, um, you know, we could also talk about how moral and ethical Mormons are. Great people, they work hard, they give you the shirt off their back. They are extremely nice people. But their religion is evil. All right, they're serving Satan. It's a false religion. And, uh, you know, I, as far as discussing human niceness is concerned, why, well, what are we really doing? All our righteous deeds are as a filthy rag when it, when it comes right down to it in Jeremiah. So let's, uh, let's not lose perspective. Let's, let's have both, okay? Let's have a culture that honors our elderly, but let's do it for the right reasons. Let's do it because, and in Leviticus it says quite plainly, that this is reverence before God. The fact that you honor the aged, rising up before the gray-headed, giving your seat to the, you know, the, the old lady on the subway or whatever, the, the, the fact is it's more than just a, a polite thing to do. It's more than just nice, which seems to be rare these days. Um, it's actually honoring to God. You shall revere your God. It's a tangible expression of the fear of the Lord that you have. You recognize your place in the will of God. And so while uh, honoring the aged is reverence before God. So just you know, fill out the rest of that verse. Dishonoring the aged is irreverence before God. It shows you don't fear God and His plan and His, uh, you know, and, and, and then ask yourself, well, what are the consequences? What might God assign to teach me my remedial lesson in respect for infirmities? Right? When it comes right down to it, if God is teaching you lessons, and, and really this is what it, it this is what it is. <laughs> All right. So um, you have a test, and your test is one of patience. Your test is one of of empathy and one of concern, and and you blow it big time, right? Because you're not in fellowship, or you're not thinking doctrine, or you're just impatient and carnal and you're in a hurry and because you're in such a hurry um, the, the, the slow person with a walker in front of you is making you even more carnal. So now you're twice carnal, okay? And it just gets worse from there. Well, spiritually speaking, God's testing you at the moment and your faith is blowing it big time and so what does God do then? He gives you the remedial test. The remedial, because He wants you to learn this lesson. And since you're not learning the lesson this way, what might the next step be? Well, what if He takes your health? What if He afflicts you in your own disability? What if, uh, you know, next week now you're the one with a, with a walker, or you're the one with a cane, or you're the one with... All right, so now you've got to go through your own infirmities. <laughs> How fast are you now? Right? How young are you now? And so, and this is this is just God and His righteousness being being fair, being true, teaching you the lessons that you failed to learn the other way. All right, and it's not it's not capricious and wicked, or God's not just rubbing His hands and ooh, I'll show them, but He is teaching you what you should have learned the other way. And when you don't learn it this way, you're going to learn it this way. See, that's how He works. And we can, we can demonstrate this through the text. 
And so I recommend you learn it this way. <laughs> you, re- you learn it the right way, that you honor your father and mother, that you show respect for the elderly, that you are, you recognize that, that uh, you have a blessing to provide for them, giving up your seat, holding the door, helping with whatever, that, that you are supplying a blessing and a benefit to them, and then recognize that you now are going to be blessed by them in turn. They're going to have some wisdom to impart. They're going to have some joy to share. They're going to have some treasure that, that if you take the time to spend time with them, that you're going to learn things you never would have learned otherwise. And they're going to tell you a story. They're going to tell you something. And you're going to learn something and go, wow, I am really blessed for having known this person and met this person and learned what it is that they, uh, they had to share. All right, so there's a lot more to it. And I think uh, gleaning it out of Leviticus 19 is, is, uh, is one way to do that. How about Psalm 92? Psalm 92. Verses 12 through 15. The righteous man, yeah. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And that's similar to Psalm 1. And there's other passages whereby the walk of righteousness is equated with a, a tree of some sort. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. How about that? They shall be full of sap and very green. And so maybe there's other trees that uh, have, you know, they did okay for a time, but uh, they just don't produce the, the fruit they used to produce. Uh, they're not as green as they used to be. All right. I think this goes well with, though the outer man perishes, the inner man is renewed day by day. We've got promises there and patterns uh, there that we can find in the Scripture. I didn't even put that on the, on the slide, but that's all right. Uh, the fact that you still are bearing fruit and full of sap, that, that's, uh, that's marvelous. That's, uh, that's a marvelous thing that, uh, that God provides there related to uh, what you can do in your spiritual ministry as before the Lord. And it may not be as physically active as it used to be, but it can be more spiritually active than it's ever been. Because God actually slows you down to the point where you stop and, and pray more, where you stop and read more, where you stop and, and focus more on the things you should be focused on. Because before, when you were young and healthy and running everywhere, you uh, didn't take the time you should have taken back in those days. Say, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right. Not to pick on anybody in this room, but she was looking at me and she was smiling. So I said, okay, I'll but this is what it is. And um, we've got hymns that address this too. The fact that uh, even if you know, you, you're physically debilitated, um, doesn't keep you from praying. You know, your prayers aren't hampered. Your prayers can move faster than, than, uh, than you ever did anyway. So there it is. All right. I've got to find that hymn and, and uh, maybe that, that could be a good hymn of the month. All right. So uh, fruit, sap. Why? to declare that the Lord is upright. This is what you get to testify to. To declare that the Lord is upright. 
He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in Him. If, if the Christian way of life is defined, and it is, it's defined as He called you out of darkness into light so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into light. Why did He do that? So you can proclaim how great He is for doing that. And the longer He's been doing that, <laughs> the longer He's shown Himself faithful in your Christian walk, then the more excellencies you have to declare. The more excellencies you have to, to, to the more faithfulness you have. And it's, it's all the good things, it's the bad things, it's everything. See? Just that wealth of experience. And you never know the, uh, the benefit. That's why the older generation has to share those things with the younger generation. That's why uh, th- th- that's available there. And um, my aunt, I had an aunt, my mother's aunt, so she was my great aunt. And um, man, they, they went through uh, horrible testing early in their marriage and, and they lost a child. And I can't imagine losing a child in the worst possible way. Because my uncle was actually, my uncle drove over his daughter, backing the car out of the garage. And she was just a little toddler and, and yeah, just can you imagine? I mean, it's hard enough to lose a child but to know that it's your fault, that it's your, it was your action that did it. And so for my aunt, or my mother's aunt and uncle, and then in, in their marriage, you know, and, and it either blows it up or it makes you stronger than ever, you know, and they had to, they had to just come together in love and in prayer and in Bible study and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of, uh, anyway, it's just they're both in heaven now. And, um, but it's interesting because when I was a seminary student, I'm a young kid in my early 20s, and, and here's my, my dear aunt talking to me. And, and she wants to know. She wants to know what's happening with my generation, what's happening with kids these days, you know. And why is there so much divorce? And why is there no commitment? And why, you know, when things get tough, why don't you just get with the Lord and, 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 and go through it together? And everybody today just seems to just give up on stuff and oh well, go on and try the next one and see how that one works out. Um, anyway, so I learned a lot and I learned a lot from her on that occasion. And, and, and to me that was, that was just like another part of seminary. That was just more training that was going to go into preaching. You know, I'm still illustrating to this day with a conversation way back in whatever year that was. Bobby was just uh, two I think, one or two years old. So anyway, that was, that was a long, long time ago. But you can learn from that older generation. She then had a question for me, which I wasn't ready for. I might have told this story once before too. She was widowed, and so she had a question about widows remarrying. And she said, uh, she said can I ask you a Bible question? I was all excited, like, yeah, you know, I'm a first year Greek student and I'm, I'm going to be a pastor someday. I can answer anything. And uh, so she starts explaining to me, you know, Uncle Virgil, he's in, he's in heaven now. And, you know, is, is it wrong if I remarry, you know? And, and so I'm, no, it's not wrong. The Bible, you know, says remarriage is good. And, and, and uh, it turns out there was a gentleman she'd met at the senior citizen place. And, and uh, anyway, <laughs> So she's telling me about this. I said, oh, do you think you're going to get married? And she said, oh yeah. And then, but then she says, you know, I didn't think I would after, after 
Virgil died, but you know, lately I've been, I've been having these urges. Oh, I was not ready for that. That was uh, my, my great aunt Betty. I was not ready for that discussion. But. So no, no. But they did, they did, and they had uh, three or four years together, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it can happen. And uh, full of sap and very green, you know. <laughs> as far as uh, my grandfather was 80, he was 86 when he remarried, and she was 82. And they had, I think they had three years together. They took, I think, six cruises in those three years and just went all over the place. And so there you go. Yeah. All right, so here's the psalm of old age, Psalm 92, 12 through 15. The point is, yielding fruit and full of sap, very green, the blessings you have to declare that the Lord is upright every step of the way. Has God ever been unfaithful? Has God ever let you down? You know, and no, never. He never can, never will. My rock, there is no unrighteousness in him. Also, Job 32. In the book of Job... These critics show up. And Elihu, the young man, bites his lip. He bites his tongue. He just keeps his mouth shut. And he waits for 31 chapters to hear divine viewpoint. And he's not getting it from the three critics. And he's not not even getting it from Job. Job has started to go down a path of self-justification and accusations against God. Job had become a fault finder. And uh, not my opinion, the Lord called him that. And so Elihu has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and and he never heard truth. So finally, when uh, the words of Job are ended at the end of chapter 31, then Elihu can speak up. And so then these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But the anger of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the family of Ram, burned. Against Job his anger burned because he justified himself before God. And his anger burned against his three friends because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. And so it's interesting the way this gets phrased. And Elihu is not rebuked at the end of the book, the way the three friends are rebuked. Uh, Elihu is providing divine viewpoint on on these issues, and uh, and uh, and that, and he's got anger in two directions. He's got anger towards Job, and then he's got anger towards the three the three stooges <laughs> and those guys. All right. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were years older than he. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of the three men, his anger burned. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, spoke out and said, I am young in years and you are old. Therefore I was shy and afraid to tell you what I think. I thought age should speak and increased years should teach wisdom. And all that's true. But it is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives them understanding. 
that if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you're learning the Word of God and God the Holy Spirit is communicating to your human spirit, then you're going to have divine viewpoint perspective no matter how old you are, how young you are, or whatever else. You're a believer and you've got doctrine and He's convicting you and this is now your work assignment because those who should be speaking truth aren't. And so sometimes if you're biologically younger you can actually be spiritually older and, uh, and even if you're not spiritually older, if you're in fellowship and they're carnal, well then you've got, you've got truth to speak. And this is uh, what we see here. So he says, the abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. And he's right. He's absolutely right. It, Romans 12 says, if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, then what are you? You're conformed to this world. You're conformed to this world. In which case then, if you've had a lot of years being conformed to this world, if you're an old person that's not been under teaching, what are you? Very, very, very conformed. That's right. Worldly and very set in those worldly ways, very conformed over a long, long time. And so uh, he's talking on this basis here. So I say, listen to me, I too will tell you what I think. Behold, I waited for your words, I listened to your reasonings while you pondered what to say. I even paid close attention to you. Indeed, there was no one who refuted Job, not one of you who answered his words. They completely dismissed his his, uh, declarations and had their own agenda. Do not say we have found wisdom. God will rout him, not man. For he, has not, for he has not arranged his words against me, nor will I reply to him with your arguments. Anyway, so he goes on, he's going to give his share, he's going to give his opinion. He says uh, in verse 17, I too will answer my share, I also will tell my opinion. For I am full of words, the spirit within me constrains me. Behold, my belly is like unvented wine, like new wineskins, it is about to burst. Jeremiah would say something similar. It burns within him like a fire. If he tried to hold it in and, and God was speaking through his prophets, they just couldn't hold it in. So let me speak that I may get relief. Let me open my lips and answer. Let me now be partial to no one nor flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter else my maker would soon take me away. That's the introduction to the speech of Elihu. In, in Job 32. And then it goes on. We won't read the, the content there. In any event, it's worthwhile noting that at the end of the book, when the Lord rebukes the three friends and when Job has to intercede for those three friends, Job has to become a prayer intercessor uh, for those three friends to be spared from God's wrath, Elihu is not an object of that. Elihu is not condemned by the Lord and Job is not called to pray for Elihu the way that Job has to pray for the three friends. That's extraordinary. All right. Old age is a glory after a lifetime of walking with the Lord. That's Proverbs sixteen thirty one, Verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. All right. The A part and the B part are complementary. This is synthetic parallelism. Uh, both halves are saying essentially the same thing, but it's intensified in the second part. 
And so uh, patience, self-control is, uh, is, is powerful. It is a blessing that we should all attain to. Thankfully in the church age it's a fruit of the Spirit. So we have uh, divine empowerment to uh, promote this uh, in, in ways that Old Testament saints didn't have available to them. But realize that this is imitation of God. God Himself is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And so we too want to be slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Recognizing that slow to anger is uh, is slow, not never. That it does eventually arrive to that point, appropriately speaking. God does grow angry. He just does not grow angry quickly. And uh, that's the pattern. We likewise should grow angry in a sanctified anger, a righteous indignation, some call it, um, as, as imitation of God. And we can uh, discuss that as well. But then the idea of conquest and the idea of capturing a city. And, uh, you know, how legendary is it if uh, no one could take something and then you went and took it? If it's, if no one can conquer it. And so, uh, uh, Caleb says, whoever gets that city, the, you know, the first one to throw down that giant gets my daughter's hand in marriage, you know, or something like that. And, and, and so, you know, when you get a reward, uh, there's plunder involved. And, or if a city can't be taken and then someone finally does take it, as, uh, Tyre didn't think that Tyre could be conquered, but Alexander conquered it. Okay, and uh, yeah, you're always uh, uh, indefeatable until someone defeats you, <laughs> and then there you go. Someone finally does, and so much for that. Okay, well, uh, conquering a city can make you famous, but conquering your own uh, temper and, and being conquering yourself in a self-control—that's now we're talking. That's something else. That's a powerful thing. Self-control is the mark of a true conqueror. Self-control is the mark of a true conqueror. And I think much of the Word of God speaks to this. And and really, by the time we look through these verses, we're going to prove the point that self-control is a bit of a mislabel. Uh, we go with it because it's, uh, it's, it's how the Bible describes it. But when you have self-control, is it really yourself doing that? Or is it God working in you to willing to do of His good pleasure? Is it the Word of God working in you? Is it transforming you? So we call it self-control because you are taking the Word of God and you are internalizing the Word of God and that Christ is in you, the Father is working in you. Uh, but it's not in yourself by yourself. Okay, It is in yourself as God in His Word works in you. That will hopefully uh, make sense, okay? And it's it's just amusing. It's just uh, it's uh, it's it's a big market share of book sales. It's a big uh, section of, of the bookstore. You know, go to Barnes and Noble sometime. Uh, Robert's there a lot, and um, you know, just check it out. See how long that aisle is, or how many aisles do they have in their self help section? And and every opinion, every book, every you know, do any of them work? <laughs> and if any of them did work, wouldn't they outsell all the rest of them and those, those the books would be off the shelf before you do it? No. I mean, what is self-help? What is human effort? Human willpower, human ability in any event. So Proverbs 16.32 again, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his spirit is better than he who captures a city. 
This is the real conqueror. The one that uh, doesn't react to everything that happens. The one that maintains his, uh, his cool under, under pressure. Over to Proverbs 25 and verse 28. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And that kind of takes the image and turns it around the other direction, but still it's useful. And I think it's, uh, it's a neat way to think about it. Do you want to be the conqueror or the conquered? <laughs> you know? It, let me tell you, it's better to be the, the winner in a war. It's better to be the victor. You, wanna, you don't want to be the conquered. You don't want to be the inside the city that's under siege and, uh, and, and does not withstand the siege. Because it's a terrible price to pay. That's the, that's the laws of war. and It's been that since the ancient world. That uh, generally speaking, when, when the surrender demand is given before the siege starts, you've got the option to surrender there and sue for mercy. Because if you, if you force the invading army to lay siege and you uh, force them to, uh, to, to pay the cost of lives that it's going to cost them to, to defeat you in the siege, there's no mercy after that. Your chance of mercy was surrender before the siege started. And so when the, when the walls are broken and the soldiers are coming in, there's no mercy. The, the day of mercy has passed. It is complete plunder. In the, I'm talking in the ancient world. I'm not talking modern American warfare, but I'm talking in the ancient world that uh, if you forced the inv- invaders to lay siege, then the price you paid was, was, was horrendous, okay? In, in death, in rape, in slavery, in absolute plunder, every man, woman, and child, uh, it's this, this city is done when, uh, when the invaders conquer. And so without self-control, that's the, that's the ugliness of this, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. It, with, without self-control you are just as a defeated city is totally at the, at the whims of the conquerors, you are totally at the wind of your conquerors. Your sin, your lust, your, your um, circumstances and details of life, everything else is just, you're just a victim over and over and over again of, your, of yourself. The way that's being described. No, you want to be the conqueror. You want to have mastery of the circumstances and details of life. Uh, Galatians 5.23, of course, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So praise God for that. If, uh, if, if this is an issue that you struggle with, and I think every human does, it's just a matter of uh, you know what the particular uh, triggers happen to be. I know Galatians is in here. I taught it once. There it is. Galatians. Um, Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right. And so when you're in fellowship, when you're walking in the light and the fruit that the Spirit bears through you will include this component, will include this dynamic of self-control. And so uh, you can throw away all those secular self-help books and just stay in fellowship. How about that? And uh, be in the Word of God. Let the Word of God transform your thinking. And uh, that's the, the self-help God has provided for us 
related to uh, his plan for believers in the church age. But what a provision. This is why, of course, Satan uh, has a pretty easy job. First of all, he's good at what he does. Satan is the tempter and he's been at it a long, long time. He's very good, he's very experienced, he's very uh, skilled in his deceptions, he's very um, um, useful and functional in his, in his devices. Uh, on top of which, of course, we're easy targets. We're sinners, okay? We're creatures of weakness. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's easy for him to tempt fallen humanity that are very temptable as, uh, as it relates to that. And so uh, obviously we want to have the fruit of the Spirit, we want to have the Word of God, we want to have a transformed thinking so that we're like Christ and when we have a temptation, you know, like the stones to bread or whatever, that, uh, that the first thing that's going to come to our mind is Deuteronomy or Scripture, right? Here's a temptation and, and the Word of God is going to come alive in our soul and say, no, that's, that's not, that's not uh, the will of God for my life. I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to drink that. I'm not going to sleep with that. I'm not going to steal that. I'm not going to, you know, whatever the temptation is, the scripture is going to come alive and I'm going to pass like Jesus passed in his temptations. And, uh, there's the self-control there as the fruit of the spirit shines forth. Titus chapter one. And really, even if you have self-control, I, it has to be divine. Because in purely human terms, whatever willpower you have in human terms uh, might be strong in one area and, but totally pathetically weak in another area. Okay? So yeah, maybe, you know, maybe uh, gluttony isn't really your issue, but maybe alcohol is. Or maybe alcohol isn't your issue, but but uh, uh, sex is, or maybe you know something else is, or maybe um, you've got a you've got a temptation issue related to money and and the the fear of of, uh, of insecurity, and so you've got a you've got a, a real weakness for that and a craving uh, a financial craving that that wants to have affluence so that you're protected against you know, deprivation or whatnot, and so that becomes a realm of of lack of self control. That uh, and whatever it is, every human's got a weakness somewhere, multiple, okay. And uh, and honestly, Satan doesn't care which one it takes, as long as he gets your eyes off the Lord, um, then uh, then he's he's happy with that. All right, where am I headed? Titus chapter one, verse seven says the uh, this is part of why he sent Titus to Crete. I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Cornelius taught a class on this a while back. An excellent class, the qualification of elders. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. That's the expression. Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And it's remarkable here, as well as First Timothy chapter 3, all of the indications are that the, the, the necessity for 
uh, humility, the necessity for character, the necessity for personal stability and family stability, recognizing that these are qualifications and disqualifications. That uh, you know, you don't want to have an unstable pastor. That doesn't do any, anybody any good. And whatever else he knows in his academics, whatever else he knows in his knowledge, the instability becomes a, becomes a veto. It becomes a disqualifier that that man's going to have to leave the ministry for a time until he can be back to a place of stability. And uh, an issue is there. And if a man's in training, that's something you look at and say, is, uh, is your life characterized by stability or instability? Control or self-control or no control? What's the, what's the issue here in your family? And if there's issues to be worked on, all right, we're not saying it's a, a disqualifier from ministry may not be a disqualifier from preparing for ministry, but uh, it's definitely something we got to look at and say we're going we're gonna to get you through this now before ordination because uh, you're not going to get to the point of ordination if this is still a reality uh, you know, down the road. So uh, recognize this is something else that we work on besides Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and all the doctrines and everything else that goes with preparing for the ministry. All right. And so there's that. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Once you get self-control, get more of it. Not something where you can say, okay, I'm good on that, I've got that, I'm, I'm, let's, let's move on. No. You get it and you foster more. These qualities have to be yours and have to be increasing. I love Second Peter 1, I love Second Peter 1, 3 that talks about the sufficiency of Scripture. God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Everything you need for your personal walk, everything you need for your Christian walk, everything you need, it says, everything pertaining to life and godliness. So there you have it. Any questions? Anything? Then we need to supplement the Word of God with anything. Do we need to inject some worldly wisdom into Scripture so that we, because there's something that, that, that seems to be lacking? No, there's nothing that's lacking. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Any problem you're going to face from birth to death and anywhere in between. Any marriage test, any family test, any health test, anything. Any circumstance and detail of life. There is nothing that a believer faces as it relates here to life and godliness that his word is not sufficient. He is sufficient. So his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge, the epinosis of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. By these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So positionally you are in Christ and experientially you're a partaker, you're living out your new life in Christ. Now for this very reason also applying all diligence. And this is where most Christians go off the rails. Because the Christian way of life requires effort. It requires work. It requires diligence. It's not a passive thing. It's not a spectator sport. 
It's not a just, well, sit and listen to a sermon and feel better and go home and have a nice life. You have to work at the Christian way of life. You have to grow and put into effect what you're learning. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. So in your faith, as you're walking by faith, supply moral excellence. You're, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Are you putting the effort into your Christian walk? In yourself, uh, in your moral excellence, supply knowledge. In your knowledge, supply self-control. In your self-control, supply perseverance. In your perseverance, supply godliness. In your godliness, supply brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, supply agape love. For if these qualities are yours and are, notice, and are increasing. You and I, we will never reach a point where we just plateau and start to coast towards glory. We're never going to reach a point where we say, okay, I've done enough. Let's just coast to the finish line now. We should be, you know, pumping that bicycle with maximum speed and effort right all the way through the finish line. Because if they're yours and are increasing, what does that tell you? They might decrease. (laughs) They might stop. You might just decide to go into neutral and stop living out the Christian life. Yeah, you still know a lot until you start forgetting it. And then you stop living it. The qualities stop being yours. They have to be yours and they have to be increasing. In which case then they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the epinosis, the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to have that true knowledge otherwise you don't have all things pertaining to life and godliness that uh, you could have otherwise. All right, and then finally James James 1 and James 3. Hebrews, James. As it comes to self-control, this you know, my beloved brethren, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And how many Christians are just quick to anger? (laughs) They don't bother thinking. They don't bother hearing. They don't need to hear what the Word of God says. They already know what they want to do. No, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So the anger of man, if you've got a human anger, a carnal anger, something that's at odds with the will of God, then you're not accomplishing the righteousness of God. If you're slow to anger and God eventually brings you to a point of sanctified righteous indignation, well then you are achieving the righteousness of God because you're sharing His anger over a particular issue or a particular uh, thing that uh, He's testing you with here uh, on this earth. So quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James 3.2 We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. So your thinking, your words, your self, self-control. Self-control is the mark of a true conqueror. If you can bridle your tongue, <laughs> it's better than a a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder on a ship, you can uh, you'll steer a, a good course if you can bridle your tongue. All right. And then we've got 
So we've got old age, we've got self-control, and then we've got luck. There's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as luck. Our random events are God's good pleasure to actualize. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap. Now, the casting of lots, I'm just going to tease you today, we'll, we'll pick up on this next week. The, uh, we're almost out of time anyway, but the, um, the lot, the casting of lots, the drawing of lots, the Urim and Thummim procedures of the high priest, other uh, things um, that were used even on into New Testament times, they used uh, to select Matthias as the replacement for Judas, for example. There are circumstances in which believers in the Old Testament and New Testament alike, they utilize the casting of lots as a mechanism of divine guidance, as a mechanism of knowing the will of God. And uh, we've taught it. It's curious because uh, there are, uh, the question then becomes, well, is it valid for the church age today? Is it, could, we, could we engage in that procedure today? And to which I would reply, why would we? Why would we need to? Uh, given the fact that we have the complete mind of Christ, we have the completed canon of Scripture. That in the early days of the church, without the New Testament, they did that, the apostles did that, but they did that before Pentecost to select Matthias. Uh, Show me some examples after Pentecost, and I think they get fewer, I don't know that there actually is one. Uh, And then with with the uh, complete canon of Scripture and knowing the will of God, why would we cast lots for that? Um, Anyway, I'll pick up more on this next week. But the lot is cast into the lap. It's every decision is from the Lord. So if you're flipping a coin, heads or tails, right? Do you have the faith to accept that in God's will? Um, That's why I think we, we don't cast lots today. But the idea that, well, okay, so heads I take this job, tails I take that job. Or heads I marry this sister, tails I marry the other sister. Or uh, I mean, are we gonna? Are we going to cast a lot, flip a coin, roll the dice, draw a card? Are we gonna? Are we gonna select a random, you know, Scrabble tile out of the bag? Boom. Okay. <laughs> and are we going to do so on a sanctified? See, here's the thing. It's it's um, well, the Urim and Thummim. God designed that. He designed that. He put that in the high priest's uniform. That was his mechanism for his sanctified high priest to utilize. Uh, he made no such provision for us here in the church age. And, and I just, I'm not, my faith is not comfortable with drawing Scrabble tiles and making decisions. I'd rather make intelligent decisions based on faith convictions from the Word of God than just some random mystical thing in, a, in a, the flip of a coin or the, the roll of a die. Um, however, in the ancient world and what we're looking at, every decision is from the Lord. So there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as luck. And if you are humble before the Lord to recognize that, and if you are willing to accept every circumstance He puts you in as His sovereignty to put you there, well then, you can proceed forward in a very faith, on, a, on a faith basis in a very remarkable way. You'll have the opportunity to, uh, to testify to your brothers that they meant it for evil, but God used it for good. You could be a Joseph in your own generation. 
you can um, you can be in a in a in an intensive care unit and uh, talking to a grieving family member about their relative that's not conscious and may not return to consciousness, and you have an opportunity to say, you know what, she was in an accident, but there are no accidents. All right, and let's look at the scriptures, and let's uh, let's seek the comfort that God provides. Because this circumstance is not a good circumstance. But all things do work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. And so you have an opportunity then to testify to luck versus sovereignty. You have the opportunity to testify to the plan of God versus the chaos of a, of a culture that is just so adrift um, to people, unstable people that feel hopeless and helpless like they're just victims of their circumstances. That this world life has dealt them a cruel hand and they now feel like they have no way out. They feel like there's no, there's, they have no choices. It's all, it's all bad because that's just the, 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 the hand they were dealt. And, and you realize, you know people like this that, that just, they, they, they feel they were dealt a bad hand and, and they're, they're mad at God for it or they're mad at themselves or other things. And, and this is a verse, and these other verses, not only Joshua, but we've got other verses. I've got subpoints one, two, three, and 4. We, we're going to spell this out next week, okay? Hopefully to the point where not only will we understand it ourselves and, and be uh, personally enriched, but then we're going to be able to go to others and, and share this as well when they feel like life has just gotten away from them and they have no, no control over anything. And say, no you don't, but God does. And uh, there's no such thing as luck. Alright? No such thing as luck. Even if, even if your opponent draws both blanks, all four S's, all the power tiles. <laughs> Alright? And it seemed, okay, now there are statistically random probabilities, Yes as far as our perspective of things goes. And uh, yeah, <laughs> you could have drawn better, but you drew what you drew. Make, make better choices, okay? With, make better choices with the tiles God gave you. How about that? <laughs> all right. If anyone wants to stick around and play some Scrabble, I'm available all afternoon. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I do thank you for Proverbs written uh, 3,000 years ago, Father, a 1,000 years before Christ, and yet it's alive and powerful today and so useful. I thank you for old age. I thank you, um, Father, for the, the older generation here at Austin Bible Church and the encouragement they provide for the younger. And I thank you for the younger generation as well and for the encouragement they provide for the older and uh, all of this works together, Father, in a beautiful way. Um, Father, it is uh, also uh, a blessing to look at self-control. It's a blessing to look at luck and all these things. Open our eyes to these truths that we might live them out in a manner that glorifies your Son. For I thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.